0: Miss the shows, no worries. We've got you covered on Point and on the podcast. We talk about frontline workers in long-term care and what they're telling us, which is a warning that we're on a path to disaster because the iron ring promised is not in place, including workers being allowed to go home to home. Addiction and suicide's on the rise with all these restrictions, and it's creating a mental health crisis that has many questioning, you know, when you talk about the cure being costlier than the disease. And would you go on a cruise right now We talked to a travel reporter who makes a living cruising the high seas and who's now trapped on the first cruise to set sail in the Caribbean because guess what? There was an outbreak. Let's get talking.
1: Am right. get I getting through
2: to
3: you? That's the point. Do you understand? There is a point. That point where enough is enough.
0: Here's Alex
1: Pearson
3: on Global News Radio. My friends, I know this will be difficult. You've already sacrificed so much, but we need to be clear about what's at stake. We're staring down the barrel of another lockdown. And I will not hesitate for a second if we have to go further.
0: Not a total lockdown, but it is is a coming. If we don't get our crap together, the question I think we have to ask is, will people actually lock it down? Alex Pearson with you on Friday the 13th. Oh boy, hello Friday. Oh, hello, Friday the 13th. It's that day where uh, I actually feel like we just all walked under ladders and then crossed paths with black cats. That's the kind of day, that's kind of the week it's been. I got a sty in my eye. Ever had a sty in your eye? Holy Toledo. It's annoying. My goodness, something so small but so irritating. So I'm kind of doing this show one-eyed and that's um, problematic when that, I got both eyes. But nonetheless, hope you're on your way home. Hope you're putting the feet up. Hope you are uh, kind of just... Uh, blending into some relaxation because I think we all need it but we don't get we're not getting a full lockdown yet but if we don't get the numbers under control we will and so the latest as you're hearing Toronto, Peel, Halton, York, Hamilton did I miss any? I don't think so all moving to the red zone and what does it mean to go red? Well it's the color right before gray Because gray is a really ominous color. And then you go right to lockdown. So basically, it's up to us now. You know, we're being told, lock it down. Lock it down as much as possible. You know, go for groceries. Go to school. Go to an eye appointment for your sty. uh, Work from home if you can. Don't mix households. Don't have parties. Don't go to Diwali celebrations. Basically, hunker down and don't be an idiot. Just be lazy. They've given you the excuse, you know, because it's easy to blame the politicians and I'm as frustrated as you guys are, you know, to see where we are now. But, you know, how many people do you know, because I know them, who kind of just make their own rules, because as long as no one knows and no one gets sick, they just don't care. And that is the problem. Maybe we'll just have a small little wedding or a small little gathering or whatever. And then it's all of a sudden, oh, God, 20 people got COVID, And I went to Mastermind this morning. I bought us some puzzles and I bought some games. Uh, So, look, I'm going to use it as an excuse to just do nothing. I'm tired. I'm okay with that, you know. And the experts, you know, I find it interesting because you hear them all the time. Well, China got it under control. Well, yeah. They literally locked people in their homes and then blowtorched the door shut. You know? Australia also cited all the time as an example. Yeah. They literally took civil liberties from everybody in the country. They had cops going into people's houses if they didn't have a mask on. You want that? New Zealand. Yeah, New Zealand stopped all international travel. We could have done that, should have done it long ago. I guarantee you no one here in this country or the United States will ever you know, accept those kind of draconian police state laws, and we don't need to. But it's clear also that the basic rules in place now, they're just not being respected. And and the honor system, which is basically how we've been managing this thing, it's not working. And that's why we can't have fun. And that's why Ford, who was not in a good mood today, you know, reverse course.
3: The modeling that I saw now is not the modeling that I saw a week ago or nine days ago. And nine days, 10 days ago, what I saw was anywhere from 950 to 1,200 cases. What I saw a couple days ago, it's 6,500. And I can reassure you that if I saw 6,500 cases 10 days ago, I wouldn't be out here today saying what we're, we're saying.
0: So look, I, I will put money that a full do- lockdown is coming. Because I, I don't have faith that enough people care to park their rear end and just kind of hang out. And, you know, they see that schools are open and the, and the gyms are open, you know, dance studios, malls still open, so they'll just keep going. And bottom line is, I mean, is going to dance essential? I mean, I'd love to do it, whatever. We can all go do it, but is it essential? No, I think you can skip it probably for a week. You know, can you maybe skip the mall this weekend? As much as I hate doing that to retailers. Can we not just treat this like we did in the spring for a bit? No. And I get why, you know, the opposition politicians and and those with guaranteed paychecks, yeah, lock it down. Okay, yeah, you still get your paycheck. You won't lose everything. So it really kind of comes down to individuals doing what they can, which is just literally, don't don't be selfish. Because we have not yet seen it, but we are very much on the cusp of an avalanche of business closures. And I, I think it's really only when people start to see the Boarded up buildings, the long lines at food banks, and by the way, they're 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 serving like three, four times the mat- number of people that they were before. The numbers are are exploding. You know, until you see those people in the street i'm not, I'm not sure people will actually understand this saying that the cost can be, you know the c- cost can be what is it? the cure can be costlier than the disease, you know? And yeah, the buck stops with Ford. I get it. People are pissed off at him. He can take the hits. But he did get a question today that I thought was really below the belt. He was asked by a reporter why he seems to care more about businesses than dying people.
3: I was up since 2.30 this morning. I was out driving at 6 o'clock this morning, getting on the phone with people, texting them, talking to the Mayor of Toronto, talking to the CEO of Sunnybrook, talking to doctors. Mike, for a second, if you don't think... This weighs on me? You don't know me very well. It weighs on me, believe me. Yeah,
0: you got pretty choked up there, you know. I, I thought it was below the belt, and it comes from someone who generally I, I, I like. But at the, if someone from the CBC, you know, where they don't worry about things like paying the bills because uh, we fill that trough. You know, they, maybe they don't understand that when you crush someone's livelihood, you know, close down their bar that they've poured their whole life in or their, their retail shop, you can actually kill people. I mean, they can actually, their life can be lost. You know, you destroy families. So, yeah, sure, criticize Ford, but I think to suggest he doesn't care about people who are dying is just uh, offside. But there is a definite, you know, change in mood and tone between levels of government because Team Canada no longer is a team sport. And the Prime Minister was talking... uh, with the premiers last night, and he's made it clear throughout the week that he wants the premiers to go much further. But it was something he said today in a a press conference that seems to suggest that, you know, he may not have our backs for much longer.
2: Our resources are not infinite at the federal government, whether it comes to support on contact tracing, uh, extra support on uh, PPE, support uh, through the military or the Red Cross. Uh, We are there to support the provinces as they handle this pandemic. Uh, but there is a threshold beyond which, when the cases spike too much, we might have to make really difficult choices about where to deploy the limited resources we have.
0: I'm like, what does that mean? Like, what does it mean? Are they threatening, like, you know, some people will have to live and some people will have to die? You know, like some people will get help, some people won't. I don't know. What does difficult choices mean? Like, it out there, or maybe it's a threat, you know, that he'll put in emergency powers, you know, shut things down if the provinces don't do it for them. It was an interesting comment, it was a message, I think, being sent to the premiers. But bottom line is, I think we're going to head into a lockdown, the numbers are uh, surging way, way too high. I just really wish, you know, those who go out and try to make their point with a mask and all the rest of it just like, can you just give it a break? I was out this morning and I saw so many stores just gone. And it's like, that's who I do it for. If if for nothing else, just do it for your neighbor's flower shop or the cleaner, whatever. Just do your part, as frustrating as it is. So one of the other uh, threats with the numbers uh, is that they're at the point apparently where we could start again losing elective procedures. And so... How do you deal with that when there's already a huge backlog? But is part of the problem, Dr. Williams? I mean, this is someone that Premier Ford trusts more than anybody. But I want to play you a clip. Do you have that clip, Corey? I don't know if you have it handy. This is, I think, part of the problem is when you ask him a question, a simple question, you get this.
2: Versus screening versus case contact management and testing, there are different aspects that are there. And some of our people feel that we should make sure that our top testing is for those that either have uh, signs and symptoms, have had contacts or cases. Because a test on one day negative while you're incubating, you could be actually positive two days later. So you have to assure what you know you're looking for, and when you do a test, that someone doesn't take that as a false sense of security and casually goes out and exposes everybody. So just because you have the test done, you still have to maintain the public health measures until that time uh, that you're really assured of your period of not being communicable, as in you've had no contact with anyone for that period of concern.
0: Huh? The question is, do we need to do more testing? Yes or no? Keep it simple, stupid. You're not a stupid person. Why do these medical officials talk in circles? Keep it simple, stupid, and then people might start listening. Good lordy, lordy, lordy.
4: We are asking for a complete 28-day lockdown imposed by the province, not each single Municipality or public health office officer, except for essential services and schools in all the red zones. If we don't do it now, in February, we will have a province, a complete province wide lockdown.
0: That is the head of the Registered Nurses Association of Ontario. They held a press conference this morning where they're warning, you know, we are headed for another disaster, potentially worse than what we saw in the spring when it comes to long-term care. They want a full shutdown because they say, we don't have this iron ring around long-term care that I think most people already assume is in place. And when you look at the numbers, since September 14th, there have been 100 outbreaks in long-term care. 2,100 residents have been infected, 1,500 staff have tested positive, and 200 have died. And so you ask yourself, you know, here we are eight months into this thing. We saw thousands of people die in the spring, and we were promised this, you know, iron ring, Why isn't it in place? Doris Grinspun is the CEO of the Registered Nurses Association of Ontario. Doris, I know you work very long hours. You're very, very uh, uh, busy these days. Um, You know, the Premier came out at 2.30. He has put us into this red zone. It is not a complete shutdown, but it is closer to a lockdown. Um, But you guys want a full lockdown. Why?
4: So we want a full lockdown of essential services and except of schools, right? Manitoba is doing a full shutdown, including schools. Uh, We are saying except of essential services and schools, because the sooner we do it, the sooner we will break the cycle and suffocate this virus to let us breathe. That's simple. And the sooner we do it, the sooner we will then be able to resume later on the economy. The longer we wait, the more out of control this thing gets, and the longer it will get then to recover, and we may end up with a full lockdown of this entire province in a matter of months, whether it's January or February.
0: Well, I, I, I think inevitably, I think people just aren't going to listen. I think people are still going to do what they're going to do. And so I think that lockdown is going to have to come, sadly. Uh, so I, I think it's, it is inevitable, and I and I hate to say that. But, you know, I think a lot of people believe that long-term care has been secured. And so when I read that there are still workers going home to home, I think, like, how the hell is that happening?
4: Well, so let me tell you... Well, between what people think and what's happening is two different things. Let's take uh, the number of illness and deaths that we have had, and you mentioned some of that, since September 1st, so just in September 1st, short time, 2100 residents have contracted the virus, 1500 staff have contracted the virus, in September 14th to today, over two. Hundreds residents have died, okay? so no, this is not any near to where in fact it is heading in the same direction as before. We are approaching seventy percent of all the deaths to be in again long term care, um, which is getting closer and closer to what happened in the first uh, wave, and we are not even halfway through the second wave because we are not in the winter yet when people are inside. Um, many of the workers that work full time are working in only one institution, one nursing home. But but PSWs and others that work for an agency go mm-hmm. from agency to uh, go from home to home because they work for an agency. Instead of putting them only in one agency to work full time, these are all directives that need to come from government, and the sooner they happen, the better we will be. Uh, similarly. While we are doing better with PPE uh, and we are doing a bit better with uh, testing, we need more rapid testing available for nursing homes so they can do it the way that needs to be done. Every twice a week, they need to be doing it. It's not happening.
0: Uh, it, uh, and let, me, let me step in here, Doris. I le- think le- not there. Let me let me break some of this down. I mean, uh, I, I you know I, I don't understand why you know the most vulnerable wouldn't have things like rapid testing. I still don't understand why any agency would be allowed to put people in various homes. I don't understand any of that. Uh, what do the ministers say? I mean, Mer, uh, Mayor Lee Fullerton, uh, the premier. Why are they still allowing that? Why have they not shut that loophole?
4: Well, you go and ask Minister Fullerton because we have not heard a response from her even about the staffing plan that we gave her months and months ago. She's still saying that she will bring the staffing plan for this province, for nursing homes, in December. By December, we will reach 80% of all the deaths will be in nursing homes. So Minister Fullerton says that she has a medical background. She ought to know that we are already in an unfolding disaster in this province, And she should act immediately and not wait in December.
0: I mean, the one thing we did see in the spring, and and if we could avoid it, would be, you know, locking these people away from life where they have no human contact, you know.
4: Nurses will not support that. We want essential caregivers to stay in because people not only die from COVID, they die also from not having the resources in terms of P.S.W.s, R.N.s, R.P.N.s to help them with the minimal things, from drinking a sip of water to overseeing their care and doing a proper assessment to prevent falls, etc. And they're dying from not having their loved ones near mm-hmm. to them because that's what keeps any senior going. And so, and
0: so, you're okay then with with having one designated, um, you know, family we, we member going seen. in.
4: We were the ones that push for that. And we take a lot of pride that we succeeded to break the doors open, alongside with other advocates, to have the essential caregivers inside the homes, whether that home is COVID or non-COVID. And we work with the families directly. And on that, I credit the premier because it is staff in his office, a um, staff. Her name is Rana that helped us really. Uh, have the premier understand on the critical need to have the loved ones, the chosen families of these seniors coming to the homes and being with them as essential caregivers.
0: What is the biggest then vulnerability and frustration that you, um, you know, on behalf of the frontline workers that they are saying, you know, begging the province to move on, you know, and immediately?
4: You got the word right. And you got the word right. Begging, pleading to the province, on, uh, to the province, ongoingly, directly to the premier when I met this Monday with him uh, at Queen's Park, We absolutely need the four worked hours third day. Per resident in every single nursing home immediately to be implemented, starting with the homes that have more difficulty and moving to all the homes in a matter of twelve months, we can do it all because we do have the staff uh, you know. Uh, when Minister Fullerton said some time ago you don't snap the fingers to get stuff, well, he knows we have the stuff. The Premier right. called me and I said to him, yes, we have the stuff. Let's get going and let's not wait till December. Too many lives have been lost already, over 2,000 in Ontario already in nursing homes since September 14. 200 of them just picture till December. You will have 500 of them lost.
0: Lost. And, and, and Dor- Doris, I'm up against the clock, but what did the Premier say to you when you when you talked to him about putting and implementing these changes faster?
4: The Premier said, I want the documents, I want to move, I want to help Doris get where we need to go. I send the documents, I, I also asked him how come Minister Fullerton had not shared the documents with them. But I don't know what are the internal processes. What I know is people are dying, residents are dying, staff are working heroically with vacations being cancelled, they are exhausted, they need the hands on care and the supervision and the support that they need. With RNs, RPNs, nurse practitioners and PSWs right away and not to wait a day more.
0: Let's see if we can get some action on this, because uh, I think most people just assume this is in place. And again, we don't need to repeat what, um, what we've already seen and learned from. Doris, we'll keep in touch. And uh, I know you're working around the clock on this, so I appreciate your time.
4: Thank you very much. And thank you for the families and the workers that bring the issues to us.
0: Doris Grinspan is uh, with Registered Nurses Association of Ontario, fighting that good fight. And again, uh, these are changes that we cannot—it simply cannot wait till December, uh, and shouldn't be. It should have happened already over the summer when we had that lull and the ability um, to make changes quickly.
3: We have to do a balance. You know, we 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 could go the easy thing to do, folks, is sit back. Let's just shut down the whole province. <laughs> like, how, how how do you how do you deal? With the uh you know mental health again of of people it's easy for people to say just shut everything down uh, when they're guaranteed a paycheck every single week
0: and that was premier ford um, answering the question yesterday about trying to find the balance of you know fighting a health crisis as well as trying to you know fight for businesses and we've heard the the term the cure can't be costlier than the disease and with every single closure Um, that we go through are more restrictions, the cost is going up. And we're starting to see it with, you know, increased mental health struggles, uh, increases to addiction, the opiate overdoses, and of course, suicides. And while those calling for lockdowns may be happy to see the restrictions, they do come with a cost because at the other end of that are these people in the private sector who are paying the price because those calling for closures, they don't have to worry about their next paycheck coming in. They don't have to worry about a job. And all that help we're hearing from the feds is not getting out the door to help those who actually need it fast enough. So there is a cost every single time we have to go into further restrictions. Renee Raymond is a registered psychotherapist with Renew Counseling. She joins us now. Good to have you. Hi, thank you for having me. I think part of the conversation that is missing, and you know, you can correct me where, where I, I might be wrong or right, is that when we talk about businesses, I think people just look at it like bricks and mortar and there's a clothes sign in the door. But behind that are families, are people. And, you know, they, once they go broke or they lose everything or the stresses they face, that all um, leads and it starts a real domino effect of issues that can get quite severe, if not fatal. Yeah, that's
1: definitely true. Um, it's poverty and also just like in the, the case of COVID where people are losing their businesses very rapidly, losing their jobs. Um, it's having a trickle down effect to their, their children and their families and, and worrying about just how, you know, they're going to make ends meet can have a huge effect on, on mental health and, and just also ha- our overall wellness.
0: We are hearing now, um, you know, as we head into the, the late fall, um, you know, a lot of these aid programs are ending. Certainly things like the mortgage uh, deferral process, all that's coming to an end. And the banks aren't friendly. Uh, they're not our friends. So when they want their money and they come a calling, they expect it to be paid up or they just take what you own. What are you hearing from people? Are you starting to hear from more people who are in need? definitely so even things around like
1: even the the mental health services that people are accessing which many of them are still out of pocket so these individuals that are are looking for assistance um, whether it's with paying their mortgages uh, you know trying to figure out how they're going to get their children to school when they're working from home and can they keep their children at home um, all of those different effects and and really the the overall overarching uncertainty about where they're going to get their next paycheck is um, the amount of clients that are, are coming to me and talking about this is, is increasing rapidly.
0: And we hear all the big announcements and $100 million here, $100 million there. You know, we've got your back. We hear all the cliches and the, and the talking points. But how are people able to um, navigate? I mean, the health system at the best of times is extremely, extremely difficult to navigate and find those services. Are people actually getting the services? That's the thing of some of the
1: um, areas where, where money has been injected, at least on the mental health side of things, um, is for very short term um, therapy or short term healthcare solutions. Um, a lot of people, as you mentioned, don't really know how to navigate the healthcare sphere. Uh, they don't know who they're supposed to talk to. Uh, wait times are increasing. And also, if you're someone that um, is unable to really use, like, the Internet. Let's say you're elderly um, and, you know, with a lot of services going digital, it can be a huge barrier for people to um, access whatever care they need. And on top of that, you know, they're, they're facing whatever they're facing in their personal lives.
0: What is your, your stance? I mean, there's a lot of debate when it comes to the issue of lockdowns. You know, there are those that say do it, get it done with, you know, get it over with. And then there are those on the other side that say, look, you do this, but it's going to have a whole lot of other and create a whole other uh, illness. And, you know, the, the, the term, you know, the, the cure it can't be costlier than the disease. Do you, do you agree that the lockdown measures are going to have um, a greater consequence and price to pay for people?
1: I think without a doubt, they're, they're going to have mental health impacts. Um, and this is the, the delicate balance that I think the government is trying to navigate because, you know, they're, they're trying to control the spread. Um, mm. But businesses may be closing and all those things are happening. Um, but the, the longer that we're inside, the longer that we're there's that uncertainty, um, the stress, the anxiety, the feelings of depression go up. It's also the time of year where things like seasonal affective disorder start playing into um, people's lives. And, you know, in wintertime, it can just be a, it can be also a very stressful time of year for some people, depending on their family situation. So um, it, it isn't a one size fits all solution. If we are going to be closing up and, and going back inside, we have to really be considering what are the overall impacts um, in terms of health and wellness and in your own finances, you know, and, and trying to find a way of managing that as we go through it.
0: It is really hard to manage. I mean, there is a real fatigue. We hear the term, but there is a real fatigue to this, uh, you know, not knowing day to day of what, um, you know, the week is going to look like. On Monday, we weren't talking about lockdowns again, and now all of a sudden it became a crisis point on Thursday, and now here we are again being told, stay indoors. I mean, there's this roller coaster that I, I think everyone just wants off of it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and the really tricky part is that
1: we don't know when that's going to happen or how that's going to look. So, you know, if it was, let's say, you know, you lost your job on a, a typical day, there there is a lot of anxiety and a lot of stress involved with that. But uh, typically you might think that, you know, the economy is doing fairly well and, you know, that you'll get back on your feet somehow. There's, we really just don't know what this thing is going to look like. I think back in March, many people thought this time of the year we'd be sort of back to whatever normal life was and and so that sense of despair or an uncertainty can really um, lead a lot of people to feel like there's there's like hopelessness. although there is a light at the end of the tunnel it's just we don't really know what and when that will um, look like.
0: Yeah and of course um when you're going through it you know th- the world stops and it feels like you're completely isolated alone and going Definitely. through it and uh what is um something that surprises you that you're hearing that you would not have thought you'd hear
1: I think what I I that surprises me is just the fact that there's still um there's still a lot of uncertainty in terms of a lot of the people that are working in the service industry. Um, I would have thought that in some cases there would be some more support for that population and in terms of how they can still run, manage their businesses. Um, and, you know, every other week there's some different, some new protocol involved with, uh, you know, if sort of there's indoor dining, outdoor dining, what the restrictions are around that. Um, so I'm a little bit surprised that it's still as, as chaotic as it is. Um, and a lot of my clients are really, really feeling the burn in that department.
0: What are we looking at as far as timeline um, to get people, you know, I mean, we're still in the crisis. And so what What generally tends to be the life cycle of trauma, um, you know, m- mental trauma, mental illness? What is the life cycle of that? I mean, I, we've never gone through a pandemic. I mean, not in our lifetime, certainly. Some people went through mono, other people, you know have gone through other crises or wars. that. I mean, but this, I think, for a lot of people is a first. But what is the general life cycle of getting through something like this? Yeah so and
1: that's a really good question because it depends on also how like well equipped someone was going into this. So yeah. you know if someone has let's say um underlying stressors and mental health issues prior to covid, uh financial stresses prior to covid, um it can really exacerbate those um challenges in someone. So they're projecting even as far as like 5 years and beyond depending on um the way that people are able to seek and receive um coping strategies and supports now. That's the big piece is that what we're doing now is will have a tremendous uh, impact on how we're functioning in the future, and so we can't neglect uh, what types of interventions and supports are available to the public at this point um, mm-hmm. because trauma can trauma can go on for years and years and years. It depends if that person um, never gets around to to dealing with it and you know the way that life goes, it can make things really complicated it it can be quite pervasive. Um, and and really affect them and generations to come
0: for a long time. Yeah. And just uh, quickly before I let you go, Renee, what is the best place? Like if someone's in real crisis and just feeling like, uh, you know, they're, they're losing everything, where, where would be a great starting point for them?
1: I would say to check out uh, CAMH's website. Uh, They have a lot of resources for um, like distress lines, free distress lines. They have a really good system of pointing people to local mental health resources. Um, So I would say to start there and and, um, there's a really great resource on their page about COVID supports. Good advice.
0: Thank you very much. We'll chat again because I think this is just the start of a very uh, tough journey for a lot of people. I appreciate your uh, time. You're very welcome. That is Renee Raymond, and she was she is with Renew Counseling, so it's R-E-N-U. And KMH, she's right. I mean, the one thing is if you call KMH, and even if you get the wrong number, one, one thing they're really, really good about is they will make sure to get you where you need to go. So if you get a wrong number or you can't find the office of someone, they'll say, hey, what are you looking for? And they call right back or they get you there because they understand that each call that they get – could be someone in distress and and life-saving. So that is one service that they're very good at. Welcome back to this Friday. So would you book a cruise right now? I mean, given what you saw back in January with cruise ships carrying thousands who got stranded at sea and in some cases, you know, were left helpless as COVID spread cabin to cabin, I actually wonder who, if anyone, would get back on board a cruise ship. And this is an industry that has been absolutely crushed by this virus. But it is, of course, trying to get back in business. And I was reading that in Barbados, there's a yacht called the Sea Dream, and it's now docked under quarantine because a passenger caught COVID. Now, six other cases, to my knowledge, have been reported. And this is a huge market for cruises, the third biggest market. And this isn't just any cruise. It's the first of the cruises in the Caribbean since the outbreak to get out. And they were kind of using this, I guess, as a little bit of a test for the industry, trying to get back in business. Gene Sloan is known as the points guy. And Gene, you've got the dream job. You're a travel writer. You travel and write about things like cruise ships. And this is the cruise ship you got on as your kind of first time in months and months. And now you're stuck in uh, the Barbados docked in quarantine.
2: That's right. I um, am talking to you from my cabin. <laughs> on the ship, the CD-1, where I am in quarantine. I've been in quarantine for several days now. Um, and, yeah, this, this, the reason I'm here, I've been a cruise rider for 20 years, and um, this was a big story in the cruise business. Just like you said, it was the very first cruise vessel to start back up in the Caribbean all the way back to February, really, early March, things shut down. And uh, so sort of all eyes were on it. So I came down here to report on it, to so just tell people what it was like, of course, I thought I was going to be talking more about how strange it was with all the, you know, uh, COVID-related uh, precautions they are going to put on ships, you know, social distancing and that kind of stuff. I had no idea this was going to happen. So, um, yep, uh, I mean, it's, um, I'm in
0: lockdown. No kidding. I mean, I think most people would say, well, there's worse ways to get locked down than uh, being in the Caribbean. But you are stuck in, I would think, is a pretty small room. You can't go out. Um, it's not a huge cruise ship. I mean, there's 112 uh, passengers with you. Uh, b- but I take it, you know, there's there's not a whole lot of freedom for you.
2: No. So, um, yeah, it's a very small vessel. It's not a very well-known line. It's one of the smaller lines. Very nice line. Uh, Speaking of they only have two small ships, and it, it's nothing like uh, the giant ships you've maybe seen on TV, the big world Caribbean with thousands of people. This is, uh, like you say, this ship will hold 112. There's actually only 53 on board. Um, and, uh, um, you know, but of course, this trip started on Saturday, and for the first few days, it was what are Sort of surprisingly normal is what you might expect the crews to be. And then, um, you know, a few days ago, the captain came on board and said they had found this case. So, uh, but no, now that we're in the lockdown, it's, um, no interaction with people, you know, they deliver food to the rooms and we get temperature checked once a day. And they've been bringing, um, you know, they've been making us go out and do, do COVID tests. I've had two COVID tests, both back negatives, so that's
0: good. Hmm. Very good. Well, I think a lot of people would wonder. Well, how did anyone get on board with COVID? Did they not have precautions? Were they not doing rapid testing? I mean, how would a case get aboard?
2: Yeah, it, you know, it's interesting. Um, they had come up with a really quite a gauntlet uh, of testing to to, to before people to get on board. And um, all the lines that are trying to come back are going to do this. But this little line, C kind of went above and beyond they required that every passenger get a, a pcr COVID test the kind of gold standard test overnight to a laboratory test at least within three days of coming to the ship and then they tested them a second time at the pier uh, and you know you get your tent you're with a little medical tent you had to go in the tent get, get tested to go sit in isolation while they process that they have their own machine to process it so every single passenger 50, 50 people had had to go through that, and all kinds of negative. That's what's interesting here. And so I think the hope this evening was that that was going to block it at the door. Um, I-, I will say that so this was the first cruise to restart in the Caribbean, but um, there has been some cruising that's restarted in Europe all the way back to the summer, of so a limited number, not too many ships. But And this, this line and this ship was one of the ones that restarted all the way back to June, and has not had trouble. So there is some track record that this can be done. Um, and I think what happened here, I mean, maybe it's a fluke and maybe it's just what a coincidence this happens on the first one. But, um, you know, that uh, it's not this has not been happening all the time, is what I should say.
0: Yeah, but but certainly probably very frustrating, you know, as we try to kind of put this thing behind us or find ways to outsmart it or or avoid it or get rid of it. It just shows how pervasive this virus is. No matter how many precautions you put in place, it can still flare up. And so what then does this mean uh, for the Caribbean as far as cruise ships? Is a setback? Is it a test case? I mean, you know, will they move forward with other cruises?
2: Yeah, I I think it is a setback. I mean, it's gotten a lot of attention because it was the very first one. I think if they had started up and, you know, the first 10 cruises went great and then this had happened on cruise number 11, it'd be a much different story. Um, Now, this, this of course, is a very small line, and the big boys of the cruise industry, you know, Royal Caribbean, Carnival Cruise Line, Norwegian Cruise Line, have not restarted yet in the Caribbean. Um, they all fail out of U.S. ports. And in U.S. ports, there's another layer of regulatory, you know, the the CDC has to give the green light. And that's probably going to take a few months. Um, And I think this is a setback for that, because they want to start, the CDC may look at this and say, well, let's give it a little more time. Um, I think the big lines, they're coming up with a plan, testing, social distancing, all the same stuff this little line is doing. I think the consensus is, no line is going to be able to keep COVID off the ships completely. Um, yeah. So it's partly how does the line respond. You know, what happened earlier this year when other uh, all in the stories you know, crazy stuff happening on ships with hundreds of people getting it, you know, there was no testing back then. They didn't know how to what to do on board when people started getting sick. They didn't how to isolate people the right way. So if they can do that right, you know, maybe people still can restart even after this has happened.
0: All right, and so there's only 56 people on that, on that uh, you know, vessel. Um, how concerned are you about getting it, and how long are you now stuck there?
2: Well, actually, there's been a big development just in the last few hours, which is, um, so the, the, the Barbado- we're in Barbados now. We, the, the cruise was cut short. We came back to Barbados, which is the home port for the ship. The Barbados health stores have come on the last two days, while we've been in quarantine, they've been testing everybody. They've also been contact tracing. So they've been looking at the people who were positive and trying to figure out who did they sit with, who did they come close to, who was their room cleaner, that sort of thing. Um, It looks like that passengers who were not in contact with these people, they figured out, like I'm one of them, apparently, I don't know who these people are because for privacy they're not telling us, but Uh, Apparently, I did not come in contact with these people, which makes sense to me because I was very careful to be socially distant and did not interact close to a lot of people in the few days before this happened. But so, people who are not close contacts and have repeatedly tested negative during the quarantine are going to be allowed to leave. It looks like tomorrow. So this is not space, a long quarantine. So the kind of new international protocols now and even the CDC, what they call for it, is only the long quarantines for the close contacts of people who have tested positive.
0: Well, that is good news, uh, certainly for you and, and many others. And uh, glad you're safe. And thank you so much for joining us. Um, I know it's probably a pretty stressful time, no question about it. But uh, we'll wish you much safety. And, um, and I'm sure at some point you will get back to doing the dream job.
2: Yeah. I hope
0: so. Uh, thank you very much. It's good to be here. Thank you. That is uh, Gene Sloan. He's known as a points guy. I mean, he's been in the business for an awful long time. And, you know, to make a living writing and, and uh, doing journalism about travel is just about as good as you get until this stupid pandemic pooped on all our parties and made it just so much more difficult. But there you go. There's the perspective right now and some of the challenges as big industries try to get back on their feet. And it's not going to be easy You, of course, can join us Monday through Friday, 6.30 to 10 live each day. Have a great weekend. Alex Pearson here on Point. This is Global News Radio.